Welcome to GodPod. My name's John March and I'm standing in for the rather ill Graham Tomlin, so our prayers most definitely go with him. Apparently he managed to take some tropical disease through customs, so... That's John's story. Actually, we're being held hostage, as you can tell from the jingle, having been replaced by martial music playing at the beginning of the day. It's been a coup here at Godpod, and John March has taken over. There's a takeover, and indeed there is. But it won't stop us talking theology. Nothing will stop us talking theology. We are are all guns blazing, all go. But if, Graham, if you're listening to this, help! We're being held hostage. (laughs) Let's get going in good style. And the first one is actually from Sam Tomlin. Ah. And um, you'd think he'd be able to ask his father. He um, didn't get a good enough answer. <laughs> so in the absence of Graham, maybe one of us could answer this question. Why did God make the world in the first place? I suspect that he did get a good answer from Graham, and he's now comparing the answer we're going to give. Ah. And we will be marked on it. Yes, Actually, maybe it's a plant from Graham. Maybe see whether is. your answers are good enough. Yes. <laughs> well, Graham... Um, <laughs> as far as we can tell from the Bible, God made the world because he wanted to. Um, it seems very clear that God doesn't need the world. Uh, he's not dependent on it in any way. He exists before the world. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit before the world comes into being and therefore is already in relation and has everything that he needs. But God is just overflowing creativity, I think, is is the picture you get in Genesis 1 and 2. And um, and therefore he creates out of sheer joy and exuberance. And it is a wonderfully exciting um, start to the Bible to read those creation stories and hear God shouting to the world, bringing it into existence. And, um, and, and hear that that's the place where we come into being is in God's excitement and joy. I think not, yeah, I think that's right. Uh, um, and very important that, as you say, his, his trinity, his, his relationship already, it wasn't that he was lonely, you know, or, or that it wasn't created out of need, no. but that it was out of overflow, as you say. Um, overflowing creativity, but also, I think, overflowing relationship. That kind of relationship of um, love and communication and wanted others to mm. partake of that, join of that. Ra- I mean, rather like uh, a married couple who want to have children in order mm. that they may join in the relationship that they have with each other. I mean, it's not dissimilar to that kind of picture, is it? That's very interesting, Mike, because I think nowadays people often think of the perfect relationship as just two people, excluding everybody else. And actually, to look at the Bible and see that a perfect relationship is one that makes space for other people to enter it mm. and be fed from it is a it's a very interesting corrective, I think. Mm. And of course, we have, it depends, I don't know when you're listening to this, but um, it's Trinity Sunday coming up. And um, there's an extraordinary bit in John's Gospel in, in chapter 17 where um, Jesus is talking about the fa- I being in the Father and the Father being in me. And then I being in you, the mm. disciples. So that same kind of interlacing <laughs> that you get. Uh, within the Trinity is, is meant to take up us, us mm. up into it as well mm. that we share the same kind of uh, relational interlacing as I mm. say um. so I hope Graham that that's a, a, a sensible answer and Sam um, more so for you and do come back if you actually want more than that <laughs> <laughs> come and join our God pod Sam that would be well, fun that would be fun wouldn't it yeah, certainly when he yes. comes back yeah mm. Well, the um, second question we have coming up this week 
is from Miriam in London. And she said, I've just been spending the afternoon listening to the God Pod for the first time. Congratulations. And I've really enjoyed it. And oh, she was that, that was the... Yes, I remember that, that response. <laughs> we liked that one. Read it several times. <laughs> I'll read it again. <laughs> I have really enjoyed it, she says. It seems like a brilliant idea. There you go. And makes amusing listening, so... <laughs> People laughing at our theology, probably. Yes. <laughs> yes. And she wonders whether she could pose this question. Um, if evil is bad, why did God allow Satan to exist? as he knows our hearts and then follows that on with when the, God, when the return of God comes he says he will defeat the evil one so why does he not do that now mm. oh. well that's, uh, there's a lot of kind of different points there isn't there really um, why did God allow Satan to exist well of course he wasn't bad when God made him is the first thing to say nothing God makes is bad we are not bad things, any of us, not even Satan that we are good things that have gone bad or gone wrong anyway um, and uh, that, that's actually quite important I think, otherwise we tend to think that there are some things that are just kind of evil mm. and you get this sense that good and evil are equally eternal well they're not, goodness is eternal and evil is not eternal mm. um, and it's not going to be eternal um, and that's part of the good news of, of the gospel the thing that is eternal, the thing that is lasting, the thing that is going to win <laughs> uh, is, is, is good and is God um, so that's the first thing I, I think behind that there's another question which is why does God allow Satan to continue to exist mm. once he's gone wrong if he has a kind of completely destructive effect then why does he uh, and particularly if he's not going to there's no chance of repenting mm. and in traditional Christian doctrine there's you know, the idea that, that Satan can't repent the angels can't repent that they're fixed once they rebel in their rebellion and they're never going to change so why keep them alive why sustain them in being um, and that I think is a, is a very good question um, and, and I have a particularly heretical answer uh, to give to it um, okay right we're just getting our black caps out <laughs> <laughs> which is I don't think there's anything in the Bible that suggests that Satan or the other fallen angels can't repent. In fact, I think there's a certain amount to suggest that they can. Um, for one thing, in uh, Colossians 1, um, and I'm turning, Jane always insists that we have our Bibles out uh, before we start these sessions, and very wisely too, because... Um, you never know when you're going to need it. You never know when you are going to lose it, need it. And, uh, and, uh, and we're now watching Mike very impressively turning instantly. Instantly to <laughs> the wrong bit. <laughs> um, but here we are, Colossians 1. Uh, the famous passage, verse 15, the, he is the image, Christ is the image of the invisible God. Uh, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things were created by him and for him. And then it goes on to say uh, that through him God reconciled to himself all things. Uh, now, I, I'm just you know, a simple kind of person, but I think by all things he probably means all things. Um, and therefore the cross actually avails for not just human beings, but every being, every, every particle, every animal, every bit of dust, 
uh, all things have been potentially reconciled at the cross. Because the whole point of the cross is to bring creation back into that harmony which, for which it was created. Um, and therefore, if the cross has availed for everything, then I take it that that includes Satan and co. Not doesn't mean that they will repent necessarily, but the possibility is that they might. And so part of the reason why God allows evil to continue to exist is that God never gives up. He never gives up. And, <clears throat> and that's right. And just like with us, he, he lets us continue to exist because he wants us to repent, wants us to come back mm. into relationship. That seems to me to make sense of why he allows um, the fallen angels to, to continue to exist too, in the hope that um, they may repent. And mm. of course there is the bit in Revelation 2 and 3 where he calls on the angels of the churches to repent. Now that's a difficult passage and of course angel can just mean human messenger. But in that context I think it, it's unlikely to be referred to a human messenger. Why would he just call mm. on the messenger of the church to repent? Uh, I think there is a, a sense that the angelic beings that have an influence over particular churches are being called upon to repent. Mm. The, the implication is that they can. They can, yes. Um, so I think that... And that's my particular pet heresy. But then if we look at, maybe if we look at then Revelation where, you know, we look at the kind of picture of what the end times may look like, it talks of Satan being cast into the fire. Is that, would I be right mm. in saying that? And yes. So is that the, the theoretical possibility of repentance is there, but the reality is? Or is that, is that speaking of something different? Well, I mean, uh, it seems, yes, it seems to me that we're, prob you know, we're told that he, Satan himself won't. But that doesn't mean that he, A, that he couldn't, or B, that none of the others will. Hmm. Uh, and the kind of, if one takes the revelation thing uh, in the way that I've suggested, then um, some of them look as if they could and might. And that picture of evil, I mean, that, as Mike was saying, that evil is not... Um, co-eternal evil and, and will never defeat God is part of what revelation is about isn't it when we see a time when actually God's power will be completely visible to everybody mm. um, and I think that's what you're supposed to concentrate on revelation rather than the detail of who's <laughs> what's being done to whom at what particular time that yeah. this is a time when God will be what God is yes. and visibly so for the whole world yes all in all in yeah. fact in Paul's term yeah. the question then goes on to say well when the return of God comes um, he says he will defeat the evil one. So why does he not do that now? I think to give us time, us and them, mm. if you like, time to let go. If he's going to just root out evil from creation and we have got it, let it get a hold within us and wrapped its nasty tentacles around us, um, if, if, if he comes at the moment uh, until while we're still interlaced with, with evil, then we're going to be destroyed along with evil. The, the time delay is to let, give us time to, to let go, um, and that's the... It's partially very interesting to look... I'm sorry, I'm changing the subject slightly. To look at, um, say, Peter and Judas in the New Testament, both of whom betray Jesus... Mm -hmm. Um, and the, the responses of each of those men to what they've done. And Peter's is to repent, and therefore he's able to be the leader, the foundation of the church. Mm -hmm. And Judas can't, either can't repent or won't repent, so there's some kind of pride in Judas almost at, uh, at the horror of what he's done. And therefore he's, he kills himself. Yes. And, and the, the, that 
um, the humility necessary actually to allow God um, to forgive you is, is mm. one of the things that I find most striking about looking at those two men and the suggestion that Judas had no choice I don't believe No, I, don't. I think that Judas could have chosen to be like Peter mm. and reinstated in the church and his story like Peter's could have been one of the great converting stories um, for Christians but he chose um, to believe that he was unforgivable and, or, or not wanting to be forgiven, which yeah. well, one, one of the other, yes. But there's that, and there's that wonderful story of the, you know on the beach, yes. which is my favourite bit yes. of the Bible. I think I'm allowed a favourite bit of the Bible, where um, Jesus builds this fire, mm. um, and there are only two places in the New Testament where the word for a charcoal fire is used. One is there mm. on the beach, uh, and the other is in the courtyard when. Peter was warning That's himself. Interesting. I never made that connection. Uh, yeah. And three times he denies Jesus around the charcoal fire mm. in the temple courtyard or the, the high priest's courtyard. And three times he affirms his mm. love for Jesus mm. uh, around the charcoal fire in John 21. Mm. Um, and it's almost as if Jesus is deliberately recreating the scene. Yeah. And it's a real kind of healing of the memories thing. Yes. It's a way of saying, right now, here's another chance to get it right. And he does. Yes. Um, and I think I, I actually think I wouldn't be in ministry if it weren't for that story, yes. because the, the, the idea of um, being given that trust, really, yes. as well as forgiveness, having failed, yes. and that this story is told about Peter. Again, it's part of Peter's great humility. I think Peter is going to be one of the great leaders of the church, and he doesn't ask people not to tell this story no. about him. No. He knows it's part of what makes him able. To, to minister. Yes. Yeah. Yes. A knowledge of one's own frailty and f and, forgiveness. And dependence. Yes. And dependence. Yeah. 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 That's right. But, um. So yes, we strayed slightly from the yes. question of the evil one, but I think. I mean, I mean it's, it's rough, roughly how I used to do exams. You know, if you don't like the question, <laughs> you rephrase it in such <laughs> a way. <laughs> as, as, well, there was that nice, nice bit, isn't there, about. Um, an RE exam and school children who have had to learn the lists of the kings of Judah and Israel for their RE exam every year and it always came up um, <coughs> and one year it didn't and there was a question instead on the minor prophets and one school child wrote this little thing that said far be it from me to describe any prophet as minor let me instead give you a list of the kings <laughs> of Israel and, Egypt and uh, Judah, uh, which I think was well, is I skillful. They, yes, I hope uh, they got points for ingenuity. I hope they did. <laughs> I was never very good at that. I was always taught what, about R. E. the technique. What, John? Well, <laughs> <laughs> is that why you became a vicar? Yes, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> the only place that would have me, really. Um, generally, the rephrasing the questions thing. Right. Obvious exam technique, not very good at it. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. as somebody who marks exam scripts, I think you were probably right not to do <laughs> Examiners do notice this. <laughs> yes. So anyone doing AS level GCSEs at the moment, listen here. Don't follow Mike's technique. <laughs> <laughs> no, do as I say, not as I do. So we've, we've established that Mike isn't an examiner or a doctor today. So, well, so we talked a little bit about the forgiveness thing, I guess. Yep. Um, uh, about this availability for forgiveness um, until those days that Miriam was talking about. And uh, I rem it reminded me a little bit of that poster um, that was put up in a, I think it was in Nottingham, in, on a church that said, even God forgives David Beckham, about four, no, when was it, about eight years ago now, when he kicked out at that Argentina player, because 
in impetuance, really. Right. And uh, he got sent off, and the whole nation was, you know, hanging effigies at the poor guy because he'd got England knocked out, basically, even God. We're, we're very fickle, aren't we? Yeah. We, we, you know, lord somebody to the skies one day and then kick them when they're down yeah. the next. Is David Beckham that very good-looking young chap who appears on a lot of magazines? No, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> of course, Mark, how stupid are <laughs> He's the not-quite-so-good-looking one who's probably on more magazines. Yeah. 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 Yes, and, well, it's the World Cup, of course. It is the World Starting Cup. Starting on Friday, if you're listening to this, it, you may, it may have already started. You may already know the results. This is true. That's a bit weird. They may know the future. That's true. This is true. Yeah. And it opens, of course, on... on um, Friday, the opening ceremony, Germany versus Costa Rica. And uh, I just want, have you been praying for Wayne Rooney? For, for who? <laughs> <laughs> well, for those of you who may not know, <laughs> Wayne Rooney has captured the hearts of the nation and, and in fervent prayer, really. Although yes. not as much as Beckham when he injured himself about two or, two or four years ago. Is that because he's better looking than Rooney? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so the nation is in absolute, you know, wanting Rooney, who's our star player, to... Yes. And, of course, you know, you, t you don't have to... I was watching the news today, and it was the headline. Uh, is that above, right? Above and beyond any of the, you know... World catastrophes. World catastrophes, you yes. know, earthquakes, war. Rooney is, got the all-clear yesterday, so... Um, but I just wonder whether you've been praying for him. Um, do you know, it hasn't been top of my prayer list, no, I have to confess. Because many, many, um, about the two or four years ago, the nation was called to prayer by one of the daily newspapers here. There was, there was the Sun, in fact. Yes. Um, but it went so far as to provide a prayer mat. Uh, the centre spread was a prayer mat, and there was a space for one knee, and a space for the other knee, and a space for your beer mug, <laughs> uh, which was, I thought, helpful. Uh, Should we have more of those in churches up and down the country? Do you well, think? It may draw people in. Yeah. <laughs> right, indeed. You and might actually like to know that, um, that the only person who has the right to call the nation to prayer is the Lord Chancellor. So that's silenced you two. <laughs> is that right? The Lord I Chancellor. I don't know, but I think so. Without yeah. wanting to sound ignorant, what about who is the Lord Chancellor? Is that Gordon Brown? No, no, no that's the Chancellor of the Exchequer. Oh, no, this is where I'm. No, lost. He's, the, he's the top now. lawyer in the country. Oh, is it? Yes. And he's the only one that can call the nation to. Prayer. Well, I may have invented this, but. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't just would stop good, talking so about football. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't even got to the question. There is a question. There is a, there is a question. <laughs> yes. Which Mike from London has, has written in. Not me. Not you. No. That no, it wasn't from you. Um, I think John's invented this question so he can talk about football. But well, yes, do care. It's very possible. Is there any point in praying for your football team to win? Depends which one it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is it. I mean, it says here, because you're just asking for another to lose, which undoubtedly has the prayer support of someone else. Yes. And then 2B, which is debatable in my mind, Mike, um, because Liverpool FC are the most successful club in English history, does that mean Liverpool fans pray more than any other side's fan base? Yes. I think they need the most prayer. <laughs> Whether they pray more is, is neither... I, I don't know. We need to do some research about this, don't we? How many football matches are you prepared to go to on our behalf, John, and ask supporters oh, well. whether they've been praying? I wonder whether we could raise a bit of a... <laughs> 
a budget. So if you're interested in sponsoring the John March Prayer and Football <laughs> Research Fund, feel free to email in with yes. your pledges. The Seashells National Team. <laughs> it's £30 per game. And over, I, I, I guess, a 30-game season. <laughs> I can't work out the maths. Uh, but, but prayer works just about remotely, pounds. so I think you could do it from your office. Well, yes, but we yeah, don't but want him to... Well, obviously, we do want him to pray, but that's not the purpose of the research. <laughs> the purpose of the research is to go and ask people. Ask whether they pray. Yeah, okay, okay. So there is some research to be done by Peter Browley and that is, all those guys. That is true. But give us your view on well, whether Well, I've always pray. found it incredibly bewildering, and I was thinking this in the Champions League um, final um, between Arsenal and Barcelona... Um, that at one point um, a save was made and the Barcelona keeper was thanking God or seemingly we don't, we don't know pointing to the skies etc etc one should thank God for salvation <laughs> <laughs> oh very good very good that's very sharp <laughs> desperately trying to inject a little theology <laughs> into the discussion and uh, and then they conceded a goal and an Arsenal player also seemingly pointed to the heavens and thanked the Lord yes which then got me asking, well, whose, whose side was God on anyway in the first place? Mm. And, and is he bothered? And hasn't he got more important things to do anyhow? Um, and Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I don't know what, really what the answer is because, I am, because at some level there's a level of superstition. But even if you take the superstitional level out where it's not just simply an act of, you know... An, yeah, in the same way that you would put on your left sock first before you walk out onto the pitch you kind of cross yourself or you thank God when you're playing even if you take that out and say there are some very devout footballers who play against one another whose side is God on and I, I don't think it is about that I think for me actually what they're doing is giving God glory it's, a full, it's an act of worship in that they're giving of their gift be it as it may, football, um, and saying actually this is for you, and and yet I think a lot of the time we misinterpret that as them praying for success of some right. kind. Because if if it were them praying for success, and if you know God operated like that, it would make it a meaningless event, wouldn't it? Because yes. it's actually not about football; then. it's yes. about who prays more. Yeah. It's yes. a prayer contest. Yes. <laughs> In which case, why bother training? Yes. <laughs> that kind of thing. Actually, the only way that God can allow the game of football to be a game of football and to have meaning as a game of football is to leave it alone and to let it be a game of skill. Mm. But that uh, shouldn't stop you praying about it, I think, because I think you should talk to God about absolutely. the things that you care about. Absolutely. And people seem to care about football. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then, not everybody well not no. perhaps not absolutely everybody no. and then uh, when you've talked to God about what you care about then it's up to God what he does about it isn't it yes. yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw the Brazilian team sometime this over the next month or so during the World Cup because they're often renowned for being uh, the team that dis displays certainly the most faith and so mm -hmm. they will huddle in the centre circle and pray together as a group and, yes. and so on and it's very, I think, yes, it's very easy to mistake that prayer as almost petition as opposed to thank you and thanksgiving. I, I mean, I think, it, you know, if you have a particular gift, it's got good to, mm. to be thankful for that gift, to be, to be recognised that it comes from God mm. and, and to direct 
praise accordingly. Um, but there's something actually quite important theologically here, which is that what God does is to enable us to be who we are. Uh, and in a game of football, that is enabling the game of football to be a game of football. Mm-hmm. Uh, he enables art to be art. He enables me to be me. Um, he enables football to be a football, which is a game of skill between two teams. Uh, and if he were constantly in- interfering, it wouldn't be that. Mm-hmm. It would turn it into something else. Uh, that's not what God does. What God does is to enable everything to be the thing that it is meant to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that, that seems to me quite, quite an important piece of theology, really. And Christian sportsmen and, and Christian artists and um, creative Christians of all kinds do, I think, talk about that sensation of giving God pleasure mm. Mm. By, when they exercise their gifts. And, and I, I think that's, a, in, in the light of what we were talking about, God's pleasure in his creation. I think that's a very proper sense what, of... Was it Eric... Eric Little, Little right. who said, "When I run, yeah. I, f- I feel God's pleasure. Mm. I feel God's pleasure." Mm. And there's a sense of that when we are doing the things that He has gifted yes. us to do, there is a sense that, that He takes pleasure in that. And, uh, and I think also there's um, there's an indication as well about the perception of prayer and how prayer is perceived in the public eye. And we talked a little bit about people praying for Rooney or praying for Beckham, uh, and then people praying as they win something. Uh, in that it's as if God has acted on their behalf and I think traditionally that's indeed how I've even interpreted it I've watched it on telly or seen the newspapers or whatever that God and that's not to deny that he isn't but actually to recognise too that prayer can also just be an offering of oneself Yes. Mm. Yes. Uh, and too often that's not conveyed it's mm. prayer is asking for something yeah. it's the great big yes. shopping cart in the sky and, yes. and that's how we get Rooney's injury mm. and that's how Ronaldo scored that goal it's because God enabled it to happen somehow mm. rather than actually or the hand of God in Maradona's <laughs> case uh, yes well, <laughs> indeed he doesn't deny it. he still <laughs> maintains it was the hand of God indeed in a, lo- in a recent interview that's probably maybe some confusion as between himself and God well, perhaps <laughs> in his own mind there is that too <laughs> Uh, but the other time, of course, when people instinctively want to pray is at times of tragedy. Yes. Um, and, and it does seem to me that, that actually there's quite a, a, a proper, if unstated, feeling about prayer in, in both these cases, which is that there, if you have huge emotions, huge shared emotions, um, taking them to God is a sensible thing to do with them. And in, that, and, in the best sense of the thing, well, a, a natural thing to do. Yes. There is something natural yeah. about it, which... Um, Rather like singing, you know, in yeah. times of uh, enormous emotion, people, particularly in primitive societies, will, will burst into song yes. in, in grief or in, in joy uh, at the birth of a child or at the death of a relative mm. or whatever. Song is an appropriate thing to do, and, mm. and in the same way, so is prayer, I think. Um, so in a, in a way, it's almost better not to overanalyze how it's working. It does seem, as you say, Mike, a natural mm. response, and so we should just naturally do it, I think. Yes. I, I mean, just to go back to the kind of letting it, letting a game of football be a game of football thing. I've just been. I keep re- trying to change. I know. <laughs> I know but I <laughs> go on. Well, I, thank you. It's yeah. only for one month every four years. <laughs> Is that all? Are you sure? <laughs> well, it maybe it doesn't feel like that. <laughs> what, you, that you have to listen to me whisper on. If you add up the number of God pods, yeah. <laughs> it totals to a month every four years. <laughs> when we get on to Wimbledon, I'm prepared to talk about tennis. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but but uh, no, I'm changing the subject from football to, to art because I've okay. been reading, okay. uh, um, uh, uh, in fact, reviewing a book 
um, that somebody you know wrote um, ab about art and how what God does is to enable it to be itself rather than having to be a moral cautionary tale or mm. a smuggled spiritual message mm. or you know you don't have to just faith doesn't distort things what it shouldn't to do um, it should enable them to be what they intrinsically are just like art mm. um, you know, good Christian art is not one which tells a Christian message necessarily it's one that is, is good art liberated to be what it truly is in the same mm. with the football I think that wraps up God pod number 8 thank you Jane Thank you, Mike. It's a pleasure. And it's uh, goodbye from me. If you want to add any questions, uh, then please email them into Godpod. And the uh, email in is uh, godpod at hdb.org.uk. And, of course, if you have any weird religious stuff that's happening all around the world, then uh, you know where to email that to, too. It's godpod at hdb.org.uk. So it's goodbye from us. Mm -hmm.